back here where we've been looking and been talking about Satan's strategies. And we're going to look this morning, uh, kind of introduce the ultimate plan. And uh, I gave you a lot of verses, but we're going to sit in a couple of them and speed through a few more. And uh, just really don't, don't get overwhelmed by uh, the, the n- number, but just rather of what's happening here. We've looked at the first two lessons. This is our lesson number three was the attacks and the, how the adversary attacks. Ephesians 6, verse number 10, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, and having done all, to stand. Withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And the issue there of the wiles, the tricks, the strategies, the mechanism to come in and to cause you to move away from really who you are in Christ. He can't get you out of Christ. You're in, you're sealed, you're done deal, you're fried, you're done, <laughs> or you're there, okay? But he can get you to, to move away from. And he really does it, and, and we looked at that word while, where it shows up in the Old Testament two other times to kind of get the idea behind it, and it shows up there in Joshua 9 and in Numbers 25. And in Joshua 9, Joshua and those guys, they didn't seek the counsel of the Lord. They went after human viewpoint. So what the adversary does is he tries to get you to go after human viewpoint rather than considering what the Word of God says about the matter. And therefore, Joshua and them made a big mistake, and they had trouble the rest of their days. So, but to, so that's really attack number one, get your human viewpoint over God's word. And then in Numbers 25, where Moses says they vexed you with a while, the adversary actually moves through that vain religious system. And because you're going to go by human viewpoint over God's word, now when you approach worshiping God, you're going to do it your way rather than God's way. And he's going to use that, that old vain religious system. And in scripture, it's called Baal worship. And we've spent many, uh, several lessons looking at it. It's, it goes by the name of Queen of Heaven. It's got priests called fathers. It's got altars. It's got all of this. What we look and see in modern day religion out there, that's what it looks like. We did a series a couple months ago called Satan's Church. And that's exactly what it is. So when you look at it, You go, well, wait a minute, that really looks like these guys. No, that's what all of them look like. They just use different names and different terms, but it's ultimately what it is. What I want to do with you this morning, come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, is I want to develop with you over the next couple uh, weeks the ultimate plan of the adversary. The adversary's ultimate plan. What is his plan? How it looks? Who does he use? And things like that. So we're going to kind of shotgun approach it, just kind of make a big scatter here. So we're going to bounce back and forth. We're going to spend a whole time or two maybe in the book of Colossians because Paul lays out in Colossians for us exactly how the adversary comes against us. But before we get there, look at 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11. Now, Paul is dealing with the Corinthians 
The book of Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, are books of reproof. Those are bad doctrine books. Okay, they're, I'm, I'm sorry, bad behavior, uh, correction and reproof. Reproof, you know what? I got it backwards in my head, don't I? Look at 2 Timothy 3. See, this is where the notes go out the window. 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. So the word of God is good for doctrine. It's good for reproof, right? I got them in the right order, right? And correction. These equal the instruction, okay? So when you come to Paul's epistles, actually when you come to all of the epistles, but Paul's epistles, Romans is a book of doctrine about God's grace. The books of Corinthians and the books of Galatians are this reproof is bad behavior. Correction is bad doctrine. What did the Galatians do? They mixed law and grace. The Corinthians aren't living as who they are in grace. The book of Ephesians is the great book of the doctrine about the corporate church, the body of Christ, which is the goal that's a G. The goal of what God's doing today, his goal. Try to keep the G's. Here's the cross. Here's the church. Philippians, they're, having, they're terrified by their adversaries. Their emotions are running the show. Corinthians, or I'm sorry, Colossians, bad doctrine. They're not holding the head, capital H. Then you come to Thessalonians, and that's the great book of glory, or his coming. There, well, when he comes and takes us home, there's no longer reproof and correction. We're in heaven. We're in the third heavens. We're, we're good. We're good to go. So then, you take all of that, and in Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, you with me? We're going to now talk about godliness for the first time or the congregation, that local assembly. Lest I get my critics to email me. Say, oh, you did a bad one. Woo. Okay. <laughs> All right. You, you with this is, God, by the way, you can take Hebrews through Revelation and do the same thing, okay? Hebrews is doctrine. First, uh, James is a, a book of uh, reproof. First Peter is a book of correction. Second Peter is a book of doctrine. The Johns are reproving you. Jude is correcting you. The book of Revelation, not you, the little flock, nation of Israel. The Revelation is glory. It's all over, okay? Lays perfectly out. What? Study of the Bible, Okay? Now, what all that has to do, 2 Corinthians, what's going on in Corinth? Bad behavior. They're not acting like who they should be in Christ. They're babes, carnal, in the flesh. And Paul's been correcting them. He writes to them at least four times. He's correcting them. And in chapter 2, in 1 Corinthians 5, he tells them to kick a guy out, get him out. They don't. 
we're going to be more gracious than you, Paul, and we're going to keep him in. And trouble brews. Eventually, they kick him out. He got kicked out, removed from the local assembly. He's now come back, done all the corrective behavior needed, learned, growed, grewed, growed up, matured up. Okay, come on. Just Sunday morning, all right? I'm in the back hills of Alabama right now. <laughs> Roll tide, you know. No, he, he gets there. He comes back to the church at Corinth. They won't let him in. They're like, nope, we're not going to let you in. So Paul is, he's rebuking them. Verse 10, he says, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgive it, for your sakes forgive I it in the person of Christ. You need to forgive the guy and let him back in. Because if you don't forgive the guy, what's going to happen? Verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. Satan's going to use your lack of forgiveness to get an advantage in the local assembly. That's why the doctrine of forgiveness is such a tremendous doctrine to understand, grip, concept. and Anyway, I got stuck on this, didn't I? Lest Satan get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his, what, devices. We're, we're to know some things. You're in 2 Corinthians. Come on over to chapter 11. We're to think about this issue about the, how the adversary operates. Chapter 11 and verse 3. A verse that I just, this verse just thrills my heart. When Paul's talking to you and I, and, and the reason it really isn't because the serpent beguiled Eve. But it's that issue of the simplicity that's in Christ. And we'll spend some time here. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through a subtlety, so your what? Minds. Where's the battlefield going to be? In your mind. How you think about it. How you perceive. Not where you live. Not what job you have. Not how many kids you got. Not any of that. It's where, how do you think this? How do you, do you think down through Scripture the way God says to think down through Scripture? Less, he, uh, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. How does he work? How does the adversary work here? Subtly. See that? That's what he's doing. He's working subtly. Come over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. So he, we're not to be ignorant of his devices, of his wiles. He works subtly. Chapter 3 verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? There's a bewitchment that's going to happen. He's going to use some things that are going to look one way and in reality be completely the opposite. Come over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. Ephesians 4, 14. Then we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by... The slight of men and cunning craftiness, where they lay and wait to deceive. Notice the thing. What do they do? Well, how does he work? Well, he's going to toss you to and fro. When Paul says that we're able to withstand, there's going to be pressure come up against you, and you're to dig your heels in. You're to dig in those cleats. You're to take those boots, and you're to dig them in, and you're to withstand the pressure. I was watching a video of some folks, and they're out playing in the beach, and the wave comes in and nails them. They ain't standing anymore, are they? 
So now we're boom, boom, get in there. Why? Because we got to go. And you know what happens? He's going to come along and he's going to toss you. He's going to pressure on you. He's going to carry you about, pick you up, move, try and pick you up, try to move you. He's going to do it with some cunning craftiness. He isn't going to, he isn't going to come in and tell you what he's going to do. He's doing it crafty. Now, the Word of God tells us what he's doing. We can see that. But what I want you to catch also is the slight of who? The slight of men. Isn't that interesting? Come over to Colossians 2. Colossians 2, we're going to spend time here, but I just want you to catch how he's working here. Colossians 2, verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Beguile. Move you, trick you. But how? Enticing words. Smoothness. Verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you. Notice that. The spoils. Come over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 18. Uh, Again, we're not looking at the doctrine in the passages yet. We'll get there. I just want you to get in your mindset. How how does he work his devices? He's going to cunningness and craftiness and beguilement and bewitching and uh, being subtle and spoil you. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 18, he's, but Satan hindered us. There's a hindrance here. Chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians verse 5, for this cause when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. See that tempting? Put something in front of you. Come on over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4. So when we begin to look at the ultimate plan of the adversary here, he's using devices subtly. He's tempting. He's he's coming in to, to move you and to cause you to move away from, pick you up, carried away. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart Depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. What do we have? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. By the way, one of the doctrines is, the, is verse 3, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Isn't that interesting? Do we know a group of religious people who uh, know marriage? You, their hierarchy, you can't get married. Yeah, and you can't, you, gotta have, you can't eat meat on Friday, you got to have fish, which I never understood, but okay. Or how about you can't eat pork? I don't know, have you ever run across some of the folks of the, uh, of the Islam faith, the Muslims and so forth, and you're walking down the aisle and you got pork chops or bacon in there, and they turn around and walk the other way? I have. Lady saw me pull it out of the cupboard, put it uh, out of the cupboard, out of the freezer put it in the cart we're going down there she literally turned around and walked the other way why she can't be around it part of her religion notice that second timothy 2 now watch this this one here is just fantastic because you need to catch second timothy 2 verse 24 we read this section here and the servant of the lord must not strive but be gentle unto all men Apt to teach, 
patient. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves, now watch, out of the snare of the devil. So he's laying a trap, a snare, who are taken captive by him, the devil, at his, the devil's will. The devil has a will, and his will is to snare you, is to trap you, is to cause you to be, to be opposite of who you are, to oppose yourself. Our job as believers is to understand that, recognize it, and then help those who get caught in it to the best that they'll let us. Because sometimes they just won't let us. So Paul says, don't be ignorant of his devices. Look at what he's doing. Understand his tactics, those fiery darts, the wiles. Notice that we're to be on guard against it. We're to look at this and we're to see this. And as we begin to do here over the next couple weeks, years, months, and so forth, then we can understand that, hey, when we see things going on in the world about us, we can go, hey, wait a minute, that isn't, real, that isn't reality. Reality is who we are in Christ. Reality is being blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. Reality is being complete in him that is, that is far above. That's reality. Reality isn't human viewpoint. That's called imagination. It's called dreams, dreamland. We we are to operate in facts, logic, thoughts. Genesis 6 says man's got two avenues of thinking. Thoughts, which is where facts are, and imaginations, which is where the dreams are. That's That's false, that's fake, it's phony, it's not real. And we're to be careful with that. Come with me to Romans chapter 1. So as we look at this and just kind of introduce what's happening here, this morning, I want you to just catch those different terminologies, slide them in, this and that, because all of that's going to work into this. Romans chapter 1, the ultimate plan of the adversary. Here is the end goal for the adversary. We could go look at Isaiah 14. What does he want to be like? The most high God. The most high is defined for us in Genesis as the possessor of heaven and earth. That's really what he wants. But he can't have that. By the way, he knows that. He knows that when Calvary happened and the resurrection took place, that he lost. He understands that. But you know how you know that? Colossians tells you that the Lord triumphs, openly triumphs over him in that. He knows he lost. Then when Saul of Tarsus is converted on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, he knows he lost the heavenly places now. You ought to take some time. I encourage you, read Acts 1 to 7 and watch and see how the adversary attacks Peter and the little flock. And then in Acts 9, he instantly turns from Peter and the little flock to Paul and his group. Why? Religion would have you say that Paul is just carrying on the same message as Peter. But that's not the case at all. Because now Paul is doing what? Here's the information about the heavenly places, what I kept secret. And the adversary doesn't like that at all. Romans 1, verse 25, here's his goal. Here's the ultimate goal. The end of the goal. 
for him in your life who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What does he want to do in your life? You, believer, right here. Unsaved people, he, he, he's already got you. If you're not t- today, if you're not in Christ, he already has you. He ain't worried about you. He's worried about the believer. The unsaved guy, he's got. He can just keep you blinded. Then he's good. Today, he's worried about the believer and reducing the impact of the believer. So what does he do with the believer? Let's leave the word of God and go to human viewpoint. Well, Rick, that's just a little harsh. If you tell people they're going to die and go to hell... Boy, that's just a little hard. We need to soften that up a little bit. Don't you know God is a God of love? Yeah, he is. He loved you. He died for you. Well, so you guys, don't be so hard. Why are you so judgmental? No, that's because that's what the justice of God demands. That's what the word of God, human viewpoint, emotions. Oh, I just love you. No. That's a, by the way, that is a byproduct of understanding who you are in Christ. The end of the commandment is charity. Remember that verse? But prior to that, the end of the commandment is charity. The commandment there is that they teach no other doctrine. So if I'm going to get to charity, what do I have to have? The sound doctrine. So Paul, that's why I say that's the end. That's the byproduct. What does Paul say here? Hey, he wants to cause you and I to leave God's word for human viewpoint. He wants to make ourselves the one who decides how we are going to worship and think about God. And as he does this and as he begins to lay this out, I want you to catch something this morning of critical mass, critically important here. Come with me to Ezekiel 28. Passages we've studied, you're very familiar with, and just remember who he is, who the adversary is. We'll do it here in one place, and then we'll move on. Because what happens is when we talk about Satan and his ultimate plan, five times, I will be, I will, I will do this, I will, I'm going to take the creature and exalt him above the creator. Okay, we'll get over and look at Eve in Genesis 3. That's exactly what he's telling Eve to be and Adam. Ezekiel 28, verse 12, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Now hang on a minute. Who was in Eden, the garden of God? Who was there? The Lord Jesus Christ, well, actually, let's just say it like this, the Godhead, because all three are there. Adam and Eve, and who? Satan. So the king of Tyrus here isn't the guy, the king. It's who? The guy behind him pulling the strings. Okay? Where was he? He was there. What is he? He's full of, he's the, he sealeth up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Verse 3, he says, there is no secret that they can hide from thee. Well, God kept a secret and got him. But man couldn't keep a secret. If I tell you a secret, it's no more a secret. (laughs) Okay? Now keep reading, verse 14. Now watch. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. 28, 14. 
I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast what? You need to remember that the adversary, Satan, the devil, Leviathan, the dragon, the crooked serpent, is a created individual. You know what that means? He don't read your mind. You know what that else? He's not everywhere. We get this spooky idea that he can read my mind, and he can, he's here. He's here. Put up the newspaper so he can. He's got to read the newspaper before he can get in. That's the newspaper ghost. We got the blue, the blue, go, the blue spirit. We put blue bottles everywhere. And you get off in all the superstition. He, what is he? He's a created being. He can't be everywhere. Now he's the originator of the course of the world. That's how he knows how you think. By the way, when God made Adam and Eve, He studied Adam. He goes, I know how I can get this guy. It won't be hard. And he went right to Eve. And he broke down that marriage relationship like that. He understands how you tick. He just can't be everywhere. You need to remember that. So then who does he use then? What does he do here? Come back with me to 2 Corinthians 11, where we were. Who does he use? He has to enlist help, folks. He has to, to come along, and if he's going to deal with man, which is you and I, what does he have to enlist? Men. He has to. He can't be everywhere. By the way, we're not on the top of his list, just FYI. Okay. At right now, the adversary, Satan, is probably sitting in the spirit world. Ephesians 6 calls it spiritual wickedness in high places, and he's, like, he's sitting on top of a, of a uh, pressure cooker idea, just rattling, trying to keep the lid on it. Because sin is chaotic. Sin brings death and chaos, not peace and harmony and love. Sin brings trouble. And he's probably just sitting there, and this is my idea, don't give me, and there's no verse that says this. He's having a hard time doing his best to keep a lid on everything. Now, look at 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Look at that. This is, they are not this in reality. What have they done? They've made themselves look this way, haven't they? And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Now, wait a minute. What was he in Ezekiel 28? He's a cherub. He's not an angel. He's a cherub. Angels don't have wings. Cherubs do. Angels have the appearance of a man. Angels are the ministering spirits. Cherubs are not. Cherubs have other jobs to do. But he's an angel of light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light into my path. You know what he's talking about doing here? He's the source now of extra biblical information. Now your word of God ain't complete. Now we need to have this over here. Wait a second. God says it's finished. All scripture is given. It's done. Satan says, are you sure about that? Yea, hath God said. 
He doesn't have to be true, folks. That's why it's called a lie. He just has to be off a little bit. Keep reading. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. What's going on here? He's using men to do his bidding. He's using men to come in and to carry out and to promote and to protect and to push his plan of causing the truth of God to be turned into a lie and the creature being worshipped more than the creator so that he can say, wait a second, I'm the top guy. I'm in charge. I. Do you see what's going on? I hope you see it. He's not using hoodly do stuff and mysticism. You know how you know that? Because God isn't doing that today. God did that in Israel's program. He did it in Israel. He's a great imitator. He's a great copycat. He's not the real deal. They've transformed themselves into something that isn't real. But man, to you and I, it looks real, doesn't it? He's using the Bible. He's using a King James Bible. Get it down there to where we love it. But what's happening? He's scriptural all day long, just not what? Dispensational. He's using the right Bible. He's got us going here looking. Boy, we're learning. But wait a second. It's not in the right place. It's not in the right. It's all over. Come back to chapter 4, up to verse 4. Because 13 to 15 have a few verses in front of it, don't they? <laughs> Look at verse 4. Verse 3, but I fear lest by any means the serpent, uh, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. For if, notice that, he that cometh preacheth another, another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Do you see the he? Now, there's a lot going on in there doctrinally. I just want you to catch the he. There's a man that follows Paul around in his ministry, and all he does is he comes in, and he's agitating the believers with another Jesus. Now think about that. Is there, a Jesus, is there another Jesus in Scripture? Yes, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. Romans 15, verse 8, Christ was a minister of the circumcision. We preach Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Remember Romans 16, 25, remember? Please say yes, please. Okay. So if I show up and I'm preaching Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... Instead of Jesus Christ according to revelation of the mystery, what's happening here? What am I doing? I'm moving you away from the simplicity that's in Christ. Come on now, it's Sunday morning. Cardinals game don't start till 1. You see, go back to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 7. Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? Now watch. If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. Do you see that? If any man, here's this guy again. 
Verse 10, just dropping down. For his letters say they are weighty and powerful, and his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not what? Wise. There's a man, and now there's a they and a ye. There's a guy actively involved with coming in and causing trouble in Paul's ministry. Paul never names him. He's just a man. Come over to Galatians chapter 1. He's a minister of Satan. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I marveled that ye are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another God. Removed from him, Paul, that called you, the Galatians, which is not another, verse 7, but there be some that trouble you. Now we are a what? A some. What's this guy doing? Paul goes into Galatia, in the Galatian territory there, establishes a local assembly, starting getting them edified in the principles and the doctrines of grace. And this guy shows up and says, yeah, where's your book, Paul? What have you written lately? You haven't written anything. I've got Moses. I got the Old Testament. What do you got, Paul? What are you doing? And he begins to do what? Usurp. Move. Move in the camp and say, hey, Paul doesn't have, Paul hasn't written anything. He's just making this stuff up. It's an occult. He's a heretic. Don't be a part of that. He's, he's just a, and he's moved them. Chapter 3 of Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatian, who hath bewitched you? See the Who? The adversary isn't the guy knocking on the door saying, hello, hey, you need to leave. He's using a man to do it. Then the man gets a following. And now the group is doing it. Come over to chapter 4 of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, verse 15. Galatians 4, 15. Where is then the, the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. They loved Paul so much. They appreciated him so much that they were willing to give of themselves 110% if possible. Now watch the next verse. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They, the ones in chapter 1, verse 6, who removed you and troubled you, verse 7 and 8, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. They're not, that guy doing this to the Galatians, he could care less about them. He doesn't want Paul in the conversation at all. 
Because what's Paul's con- what the conversation with Paul going to be? You're wrong. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. You see, they've completely begun to remove Paul. Chapter 5, verse 7. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. See that issue of being minded? How are you thinking about this? But he that troubled you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. Again, verse 12, I would they were even cut off which trouble you. That's that issue of being accursed in chapter 1, 6, 7, 8, 9 there. My point there, come on over to 2 Timothy, is to begin to, when you think about the the ultimate plan here of attack, one, his goal is to get you to take the truth of God and make it into a lie, make it into something that it's not, which will cause you to then worship yourself and make you your own God rather than worshiping the Creator. That's what he does. And the tactics that he's involved here. Now, 2 Timothy 3, start in verse 1. This I know also that in the last days... 2 Timothy 3.1, this, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Verse 2, for men. Isn't that interesting? What's happening here? Well, verse 5, there's some men, they're going to have a form of godliness, but not denying the power thereof from such, turn away. Verse 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Look at that. Verse 8, the end of that verse, men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. Paul gets out, he lays out the, the, his, the church history from the end of Paul's day all the way down to the rapture. This is what it's going to look like. You don't need Miller's history. You don't need Schaff's history. You don't need any of that. You just read this book right here, and it tells you, you know what's going to happen? Men are going to fall away. They're going to depart. And what are they doing? They're reprobate concerning the faith. They come in and they say, no, you don't have a Bible. You don't have God's Word. No, you don't follow Paul. He's a heretic. You don't do that. you got to do this. And he, they begin to roll out the message. They take the truth of God and turn it into a lie. 2 Timothy 2. Look at this. This is just, folks... Catch right off the bat, Satan in everywhere. Sorry. He's, but he uses men in the religious system to, prompt, to promote his program, his lie. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, we know very well. Study the show. By the way, look at verse 14. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. I would encourage us to have words of profit. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're not dividing truth from error. We're taking truth, and we're putting truth where it belongs. And where it goes. Verse 17. 
and their word, see their word will eat as doth a canker. The guys that are bringing the word that's subverting the hairs, verse 14, the words to no profit, their word will eat as doth a canker of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have what? Erred. How did they err? They have the truth. They've got the word. But they've erred, haven't said what? The resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. What are they? They are scriptural. They're just not dispensational. They've got the resurrection down into the tribulation time. <laughs> they, got, they moved the rapture. The rapture's not pre-trib now. Now it's mid-trib or, or post-trib. And they're, they're playing this. Why? Because they don't want, they just want to love you. And it's like, wait a second. You're scriptural but not dispensational. Hymenus and Philetus. Guys that are there teaching, but they have erred concerning the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 1, just so you see this guy again, verse 20. Paul's dealt with him, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not the blasphemy. Well, what did they do? Verse 19. Holding faith and good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. What are they out there doing? The world's most dangerous doctrine is to be scriptural but not dispensational. They stand in their pulpits. They stand in their whatever. And what do they do? They hold up the Word of God and say, this is what the Word says. And they go take you right back underneath the Old Testament. Or they take you and put you out in the book of the Revelation thinking that what you see is a fulfillment of that. And what do they do? They overthrow your faith. They make it shipwreck. Come on over to... Come back to 2 Corinthians 11. You see, folks, this morning, just grass. We're not going to get into much more, looks like. 2 Corinthians 11... The adversary is a created cherub. He's a created being. So he can't be everywhere. So he's devised a mechanism. It's called religion. And he uses men to promote and to push the lie. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, Verse 15, therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. See that? They're transforming themselves. They're, it's, in, it's involved, come back to chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. It hangs in the religious balance. Now, you may say, but religion in what manner? Well, we looked at it, Judge Numbers 25, Baal worship, Judges 17. All that, that issue of Baal, the, 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 that vain religious system. Jeroboam and Rehoboam, you remember those two guys? Solomon dies and they rip the nation in half. Ten tribes to the north, two to the south. You know what Jeroboam did? He goes down in Bethel and Dan and he sets up a competing thing for Jerusalem. 
He says, I don't want Israel to go to Jerusalem because if that happens, then Rehoboam's going to get them and I'm going to lose. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to duplicate what's in Jerusalem, but I'm just going to set it off just a little bit so it's mine. That's what he does. This morning around this country, people sit in pews like you're sitting in churches, and you know where they're at? They're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or they're in Revelation, and they're boohooing about this and boohooing, and they're not help, being a helper of your joy at all. Figure it out. Now look at 2 Corinthians 4, and watch verse 3. 2 Corinthians 4, 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in unto them. What is the God of this world blinded the minds of them that would believe not? What is he using to blind the mind? Religion. It can be the religion of the National Football League. It can be the religion of NASCAR. It can be the religion of hiking. It can be the religion of What's going, Major League Baseball. I knew it was something. It can be the religion of putting together a 1958 Chevy Apache pickup truck. It is whatever is going to consume you to move you away from who you are in Christ. Covetousness is idolatry. What, are you, what consumes your time? Now, just so you understand religion, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, let your eye run across to chapter 3 and verse 15 and 16. 3.15. But even unto this day when Moses is read, all right, who's Moses? The great lawgiver, the Old Testament, Israel's program. When Moses is read, what's the condition? The veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, their heart, shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. He uses religion, and specifically here, the religion of the Old Testament of Israel, to do what? Blind the minds today. Because what's God doing today? He's forming the church, the body of Christ. Come on over to... Ephesians 1. Oh, we gotta be we gotta be done here. Ephesians 1. You can hang with me, and then when Linda yells at me, I'll tell her to come see you. Okay? Look at Ephesians 1. Okay? Yeah, don't talk to her. It'll be okay. Look at Ephesians 1. Look at what's happening here, folks. He's using people. Ephesians 1. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Let me ask you something. Do you have all spiritual blessings? Then why would the preacher, why would the religion say you've got to do something to gain more? I got it all already. I, I'm not, why? Why do they say it's so they can keep you under their thumb and have dominion over you see that? If that verse is true, and what is, that verse is true, there's nothing more for me to gain, is there? 
I'm to take what I've gotten and go learn it and apply it to the details of life. I've already got it. Come over to Colossians 2. Colossians 2. We'll go back to Genesis 3 and all that next week. Maybe. Colossians 2. Colossians 2, verse 10. Colossians 2, verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Are you complete? That verse says you are. Then why are you get told sometimes that you're not and you need to do this in order to be? I already am. What are they trying to do? What's religion trying to do? And folks, this is beyond denomination, beyond that. This is just religion. What is it doing? It's guiding. The verse in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, about the simplicity of Christ when get Eve. You go read Genesis 3. How did he get Eve? Yea, hath God said. He got her to look at that grape over there on the vine as a human viewpoint rather than from God's word. What was God's word? Don't you eat of that grape right over there. It was a grape, not an apple, just FYI, if you haven't figured that out yet. Okay. It's a grape. Why, why did she have to even question what the adversary said when he said, oh, you can eat. Once you eat that, you'll know everything. Why? Because what did he say? There's something God's holding back that he doesn't want you to know. And if you join me and obey me, then I'll give you the decoder ring, and you can win, and you can be as gods. And what did she do? She left the simplicity of who she was in Christ. Genesis 1. She left that. She went over and she touched. She said, we can't touch it. God never said touch it. He said, you can freely eat. She took out grace and added law. Made it a requirement. I mean, just unreal. Oh, we got to spend time in there next time. Come over to 1 Thessalonians 3. You see, folks, the adversary's goal here is to move you. 1 Thessalonians 3. The adversary's goal, he knows that to get you to not operate as who you are in Christ is to get you to quit, is, is to get you to not operate in grace, but to operate in that performance-based system of religion. And if I can do that, then I got you. And you're ineffective in the battle. Zealous, zealously affect you. Now, they weren't worried about you getting it. They were worried about you infect, infecting them. Galatians. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. The Thessalonians were up against. They had great persecution against them. And he sends Timothy to find out I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. See how he says, you, got van you guys just got pulled away. Now watch verse 6. But now, when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you, Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our afflictions and distresses by your faith. For now we live, 
if you stand fast in the Lord. The adversary, he's trying to get you to depart from the faith. He's trying to get you to, to depart from the mercies of, of God. He's trying to get you to depart from the wonderful riches that you and I have in Christ. And he uses men and religion to do it. And he uses it to cause you to second guess the word of God. Okay? Now, next time, real quick. He attacks in two manners in this field. He's going to hit you with attacking the message. And then he's going to attack the messenger. And we'll see that as we go. The attack of the messenger is by discredit or discouragement. Because if the adversary can get the messenger to become discouraged, discouraged says one word, two words, I quit, then he's won. But if he can discredit him, then he's won through you. And we'll see that as we go here. What's the adversary's goal? Get you out of the faith, get you off the bubble. He can't get you out of Christ, but get you to not be an effective battle, member in the battle. And he's going to do it by using men. Use it religion. I think one of the greatest adversarial attack uses out there today is the Internet and YouTube. I know we use it. I know it's a valuable tool. I get that. But he also uses it because what can you do 24-7? Bloop, 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 bloop. And you know what you're not doing? Reading that book. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your son, for the all spiritual blessings, for the completeness, for the riches that we have in you. And Lord, I just pray that we would focus our mind and our thinking in on that, learn those, have them grow in our inner man, have them grow and grow up in them so that we can become effectual in our lives for your glory and your honor. In your name we pray, amen.